want to do something about the plastic waste problem before it ruins the world. We want to do something about the, now the housing problem, housing deficiency in the world, and the explosion. The, as I mentioned, 160 million today, 360 million by 2050, and that's just in Africa, South Sahara. And we want to create jobs, a lot of jobs, because jobs is security and they're doing something for the planet. And then we have the fourth pillar of the company. And the fourth pillar, the corporate social responsibility. These four pillars we, we believe will help create a stable society. These are really important for us. These values our partners will have to take on as their own. Welcome to Mindful Businesses, presented by Sarani, and I'm your host, Vidya Ayer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands which are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today, we talk to the passionate Frank Cattolati, founder of Atalo, from plastic waste to modern houses. He joins us from Verda, Norway a small island in the Barents Sea. Welcome, Frank. Thank you, Vidya. It's really nice to be here. I've uh, really been looking forward to this talk. I was fascinated when I looked up your town on the globe. You're pretty far up north there. Yeah, we're as far north as you can get in mainland Europe. We're way above the Arctic Circle, and we are the only place in mainland Europe that, by definition, has the Arctic climate, which is we have no summer, which means we don't have over 10 degrees Celsius in average during the three summer months. But it's a really nice place. I love getting into history about my hometown, born here, back to the uh, old Greeks who was visiting here. And they are the first to mention the holy mountain Dumen and describe the entrance to the underworld. And they were the first to describe the people who lived here. They met the high, fair people who lived here, which had no word for war, but they all mastered magic. And throughout history, magic has been a key word for the population up here. Do you still see the aurora borealis? Yeah, the aurora up here, if it's not snowy or cloudy, you will see the aurora. I was out to film the aurora yesterday, but it started to cloud and getting to snow. But up here, over the barren sea, and you see the green waves of uh, the aurora, and almost, we call it the curtains, waving on the starry night sky, and you have this pink edge of the green curtains. That is amazing. If you don't believe in magic before, I promise you, you believe in magic and something bigger than yourself afterwards. Now back to reality, the real reality. World Bank and Habitat for Humanity report that as of December 2018, 30% of the urban population lives in a slum. That is every seventh person worldwide lives in a slum. As shocking as the number is, could you just tell our listeners, what is a slum? What is slum? What is the absence of safety? What is the absence of clean water? What is absence of health? What is living in insecure environment? 
not being able to have you know that English term, my home is my castle. You're able to feel safe. What is the absence of safety? That is slum. Health problem or health issues, lack of water. It's a breathing ground for sickness, illnesses, and I might be jumping into things now, but during this uh, pandemic we're in now, the COVID-19, it's been a huge from both national uh, governments and from the UN, a huge focus or even bigger focus on actually slums because this is where the poorest and the one who has the less means is packed together. Because in a slum, you have one shack, six, eight people living in that one room, bad conditions, you have no clean water, you're not able to maintain Social distancing is non-existent. No, it's non-existent. And you have this packed shack on a pound shack. This is breeding ground for epidemics. That is this most, I would say, the most scary thing. And even, again, maybe I'm jumping into things now. Slums, we tend to think about slums as we who are living in normal house, we have running water, we have healthcare, we have everything we need. And we believe that slum is poor people. Of course, we know that they are health issues. They're not able to have their, keep the social distancing required. Being a breathing ground for diseases, it also affects, one, as you said, one in seven live in slum. But even the six other can be affected by slums since it's a breeding ground for other diseases which hit anyone worldwide. For people in the Western countries who haven't seen a slum, the first time they ever saw a slum was probably in the movie Slumdog Millionaire. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. It was shot in one of the largest slums in Asia, Dharavi uh, in Mumbai. And most of these slums, they're not typically dangerous most homes don't even have locks. The neighbors are very supportive of each other. And they are extremely, extremely poor people who um, struggle with everyday living, you know, going to work. Some are manufacturing units, which who manufacture their own homes, small-scale cottage industries. And so it, it is a, a completely different perspective than the high-crime poor areas that we see in other parts of the world. So a slum is typically in the urban population, right? Yeah, it is. Strangely, slum is a um, urban both situation and uh, living. What we're seeing today is we have a population growth, but we also have a urbanization where people move from the more rural areas, but they actually are able to maintain better living and even though it might be poor, but as a, people tend to move into more urban areas, which creates slums. The promise of a better life, uh, jobs are often in the bigger cities. It, it's really strange. We see that slums are growing into what we're seeing now. We've been discussing this with the UN. But as uh, in Africa, which we have until now had the main focus, and in particular, we started out in Kenya, in Nairobi, we had this first-hand view and discussion and with the UN showed us the slum of Kibora in Nairobi. 
And you see that, yes, we have a huge population growth in Africa as well. As people are, the population is growing more and more, goes into the big urban cities, urban centers, and that actually magnifies the, um, the problem of population growth. Because population growth in the rural areas could be somewhat positive, but somehow we tend to gather, as human beings, we tend to gather in these huge cities which just heighten the problem. And that, to me, it puzzles me. But it might be because I'm actually not very urban myself, living in a small town. And that heightens the problem. So more and more people, uh, both by population growth and by migration, tends to end up in slums. And that has huge impact in both the local economies. It has a huge impact in health problems, health issues. So we magnify our own problem. In most countries, we see this migration into the urban areas from the rural areas. And that magnifies the problem even in industrialized countries. But in but like India, 1.3 billion people, if I'm not mistaken, it's, it has the same amount of population as the entire continent of Africa. And when you have the migration of that amount of people into the more urban areas, that would create all sorts of trouble. And the dream of having a better life, it dies. It's, it's really, really tough. And I remember I used to take the bus to college and my bus used to go right through Dharavi, the slum that we spoke about. And it was rough, even for me to see the conditions in which the kids go to school, women are going about their jobs. It's very, very tough to see it. It's hard to get desensitized, even though I was, you know, seeing it every single day, you know. So let's talk about what is the meaning of the word otalo? Otalo is an old, old Norse, Norwegian name. And we wanted it to have we believe that we, our technology, the vision behind is, is to make impact. And the meaning of the word Utal is, the name is seen as the expansion of the light of individuals and collective human consciousness against the forces of ignorance and the darkness of the world. That's a deep meaning. It actually says that we want to make lives better. We want to make people have a beautiful, meaningful, safe life. We want to be part of people's life. We want to make a difference. We want people to look at the waste as a resource. We need to change the way we see the entire world, the, the use of resources. And the name Otalo actually incorporates all of these things. But Utalo as a company going to make change. But when I say we, I mean all human being. You're sitting way, way north. How did you get connected to the problem in Africa? I'll take you through the how this came about. A bit about my background. I've been working for the armed forces or the government and my entire grown life. I had I'd suffered from PTSD. Uh, from uh, one of my uh, tours in a war zone and had to leave uh, the army. Moved back home to uh, the Arctic, 
which I've described uh, <laughs> and I really, really love. And I have, I live like 30 meters from the ocean. And during the winter storms, the ocean just filled the beach with the plastic waste. We are a small island with 2,000 people living. We don't produce that much waste. It's not possible. And it made me think, this is not right. We have to do something about it. If we feel the impact as far north as you can get, how do people elsewhere in huge urban population with not thousands, but millions of people that creates a lot of waste. That makes a problem and started checking things out. I have a uh, building energy engineer degree and have a space technology degree and started to think how can we solve this menace the plastic waste is because the entire world is suffocating the environment, the animals, the plants, the soil is suffocating the water, the ocean it said that uh, by 2050 we will have more plastic in the ocean than we have fish that is scary we need to do something that actually have an impact. And with my uh, travels abroad, I've seen the lack of housing, proper housing. As we mentioned, we talked about slums, whether it's in Asia, whether it's even in Europe, Africa, South America, the need for housing is immense. What if we could use the plastic waste to solve another problem? use it as a resource. That's how this came about. Because we need to sort things out in a way that we are able to deal with the immense problem because it needs to have volumes. We can't, it's, <laughs> okay, it, it, I don't mean to offend anyone, but it is a limit to how many uh, flower pots we can create and use, even worldwide. So you need something which makes an impact. So I started based on uh, my knowledge in uh, building technology to see how we could make something strong enough out of plastic. So is it a patented technology? Do you have the knowledge in material science? You have knowledge in building, you have the common sense of what the problem is and trying to solve. So how did you think of the material and is the technology patented? That's the question I get a lot. Plastic, how is that possible? We're actually building houses out of plastic. It's not new. There was even experimenting it, uh, on it in the 60s. Even the Soviet Union started experimenting uh, with it. But it's been hard to make something properly. It was costly. And that is one of the reasons we use waste to make resources, to build houses based on a patented, as you asked for, as a patented technology. We're using here in Norway, as a, a partnering up with Sintef, which is the research and approval company, which is renowned uh, in Europe. So it's the structure itself, which is patented, uh, the system itself. We're able at this moment we're able to use about 75% of all plastic, different types of plastic into the system to create the building technology. So it's a three-part system and you have to use particular plastic for the particular parts to make it strong and sustainable. You are saying though you use 75% of all kinds of plastics, 
you probably make different products depending on their strength and capability. Yeah, exactly. This is strong and this use right, we could build bridges of it. And here you have also plastic. It's a different plastic, which is used for insulation. So we have used, take the, the um, different strengths and values out of the different kind of plastic to, in particular, use these for the different part, whether it's insulation, the load carrying system, the um, outer shell, to make it feel like a standard, normal house. It's strong as I was about to swear now. It's a North Norwegian way of doing it. We, we emphasize something, but it's strong. It can carry almost anything. Yeah, it's fascinating how tough plastic can be. You know, we're thinking of plastic bags and wrappers, but when you bring it all together, so are there any uh, adhesives or is just 100% plastics, which is compressed with heat? We pick out the plastic types that has the properties we need and it's brought together with heat. And we have some additives, which is checked for, we have always taken care of about their health issues, so we don't do anything wrong, but we have tested this for, it's fireproof, so it will self-extinguish. That's really important with plastic because you don't want any poisonous fumes, you don't want plastic to drip, so it's very important. It's a lot of things you have to take into consideration. It's not just the strength, but it's health issue as well. How did you make it fireproof? That's fascinating because that was my next question because wooden houses are bad enough, but a plastic house is to be even worse. We have, together with Sintef and uh, some of our research partners, we have found a recipe that will make this self-extinguish. It will melt without any fumes if you put a high temperature, um, like a torch on it, it will, but it won't take fire, it won't melt, it will just melt where you have the fire. And with the moment you remove it, it's self-extinguished. Because we use the, uh, the European and Norwegian building requirements as a standard, and it has to do with the load-bearing construction had to stand long enough for people to evacuate during a big fire. And the values are different depending on what kind of building it is. Is it a one-story, two-story, three-story, four-stories? Is it a hospital, school, nursery? It's a different. So we always work towards these. These are our goals when we use Sintef as our main partner on that, to have everything documented and approved by Norwegian and European standards. Yeah, and there are so many things that you don't think of when you're just starting off with the material and then as you go deeper, because we've spoken now two or three times and every time I find so much more about your product. And of course, I am fascinated every time, like, oh my God, this too. So it's it's exciting always to talk to you. But you have a partner in this project, uh, an architect from Denmark. Yeah, he is... He's actually from Belgium, but he has offices in Sweden, Denmark. He's a world-renowned architect. What's his name? Uh, Julian Desmet, and he has some really great projects behind him worldwide. How did you find him? 
it's quite a um, reason, if I could call it, that we started out, there was the UN Habitat Day, uh, the 5th of October. We started planning this a long time ago. We wanted to have a building in place in Nairobi, in UN Habitat compound, to show off in the, uh, during the UN Habitat Day. But then COVID came, we weren't going anywhere. So uh, things changed and I got a phone from the UN. Frank, we're not able to, you, you can't come there. It will be an online event. But if you could make a film, a movie showing this, showing your visions, your, the architecture, your thoughts about it, that would be great because we could show this online. And we, it is the same day as it's been planned for a while that we, the UN would tell the world that we partnered up with Otalo. So, okay, we have to make a movie. We have to actually focusing on a digital platform so that we could show what we're all about. We contacted uh, a film company to have them make them this film, short film. So to be a digitized model of the house, which they would showcase at the event. Yeah, we got the film company and uh, <laughs> the, the ways of the universe. I can't explain it any other way. Uh, and uh, Magic. Yeah, it's magic because what I got to understand or know that this project, it touches people. We have a, um, the world is having, the focus of the world, the humanity is changing. We know we have to take care of the earth or Mother Gaia. I'm a spiritual person myself and I really do believe that good things will come around when you have good intentions. And the film company, the owner of the film company, actually had done a project with Julian Deschmet earlier. And he said, this is a really good idea for Julian. And called him up. Julian is based now in Sweden, where he had bought a area where he is working towards sustainability he want to try different things and he saw the, this project uh, we talked about it and he was really keen on it really in on it i wanted to join that's how we met julian and then the un the 6th of october announced the partnership and since then and if any one of the 300 mails i haven't been able to respond to yet because I'm, I'm having a, <laughs> I have about 300 mails. I'm behind answering emails. I must say I'm on to you. Squeezed me in when you have so much work. Yeah, it's, it's been crazy since the 6th of October. If you Google Otawa, every week there's some new uh, media who've caught this, had an article, World Economic Forum, CNN, it's been all over the world. It's been crazy. So when did you start exactly? 2019 or 18? I started the company in April 2018. 2019. It's correct because the company is about soon to be two years old. I've started with technology. The first, call it, the first footsteps, checking things out, experimenting, testing, for myself, before I started working towards the patent, it was in 2014. So I wanted to check out that it was possible before I started the company. 
How did you check it out? No, uh, first I did some tests myself. Is my IDs actually worth anything? You know, being the garage inventor where you do testing and then you involve people. You travel around with your first prototypes under your arm and visit people who actually have the knowledge. And I've had people, the, the um, one of Norway's biggest plastic producers up here in my home, at my house. I went down to him with my first prototype just to show the, the, the strength of it. It was just made, but just to show the principles. And he said, you're really into something. And then he, about a year later, he came up here, saw my two first proper handmade prototypes. And he said, Frank, you got no idea what you actually accomplished here. And to be honest, I hadn't. Um, <laughs> my vision is what's been driving me all the time. The technology has been the means of the vision. And we want part of the vision is from, we're not a profit maximizing company. It's doing good, which is important. Leaving the earth a better place than it was when I grew up or it has become. And as I said, I am a spiritual man and how strange it is there's a lot of spirituality in this uh, way of how things have come about and when he came up here he looked at a couple of prototypes and he was really keen on it and since then that's when started the company i had the approval or uh, backing i needed and i'm to be honest with all the, uh, the coverage and attention and emails I've gotten since the 6th of October, it's even more inspiring. And especially, I have had a couple of emails from small kids. The youngest was six years old. That must make your day. Yeah, it really, when kids of today, they're really aware of where we're at uh, as a planet and uh, the humanity and the plastic problem. And they getting a bit moved here. Feel my eyes watering now. When the kids thank you for this and are really happy because they see this as a solution for something they're really scared of. That, that is the most rewarding thing ever. I've gotten a lot of emails from professionals and investors and they are always nice. But from the kids, it really moved me. The kids, because it's authentic. So describe an Atalo home. How is it? Is it very flexible based on the space that you have? Is it modular? What do you envisage? Describe an Atalo home for me. What does an Atalo home look like? Walk me through it. Okay, what is an Atalo home? We have, at this stage, we have focused on and now we're going into the physical. Uh, we have like one bedroom, two bedrooms, three bedrooms. Uh, we have a standard because it's all about making things as cheap as possible because it's affordable housing. It's been defined by the United Nations and uh, the price range and we're well under those costs they put up. It is... If you live in an Otalo home, you wouldn't know that, that it would be an Otalo home. It would be your home. It's a normal house. It looks, feels like an, any normal house. 
Uh, it has uh, bathroom, bedrooms, living room, a kitchen, and it's all sustainable. Everything from the the um, the sanitary system. We're looking at off-grid solutions for um, for electricity and energy. We're also looking for um, at this point. I've been talking to several uh, partners, potential partners that can have vertical garden to grow vegetables and uh, greens using collected rainwater. We are also having looking into because it's we've tested that together with the UN. And it depends on whether you have a large community, the size of the community, where we can use the sanitary system, the water, the toilet waste, into turn it into biogas, which could be used. So we're looking into a sustainable... Fully circular home, shall we say. Yeah, it's a circular home. It's a circular way of living. And we have to move into that... Kind of, and that's really important. I want to go back to the slums and slums, the social houses, the the affordable housing, low income houses. Doing it correctly, which is part of our vision, is that they would be from being in the in the back of sustainability and technology. It would be a forefront uh, for sustainability. They would be cutting edge. They would take massive leaps and lead on in the way of living for the future and for the health of the planet. And that is, we couldn't do that here in Europe, for example. That wouldn't be possible. And we're also looking into, I wouldn't go into that, but we're looking into a way of, um, let's say, producing electricity in a way that where the house is, is actually an electricity producer, which could be used as a way of financing your own home. So the house would finance itself by producing energy. Yeah, by selling the electricity that you generate with your solar panels back to the grid. So it will offset some of the cost of your housing. Exactly. So we're looking into ways of doing this now. We have some uh, partners who could help us realize that. Exciting. Coming to the just the very practical part of it, would these homes be like modular and be able to be put together on site? How would it work? Oh, yeah, yeah. We have, going back to what I talked about earlier on, when I talked about the plastic waste we've seen and we see the, the magnitude of the problem and the need of housing, as in Africa, south of Sahara, housing deficiency in the area south of Sahara is today 160 million homes. By 2050, it is 360 million. Okay, we can't build houses in a traditional way and hope to cope with the, the needs. I would say it might be a detour, but if you will humor me on this one. I was um, in Kenya, and then I went to Mumbai, talked with some of my investors, and then I moved to, I was to go into a, um, to a meeting in uh, Dubai, to, which had to do with the recycling process. And in Abu Dhabi at that time, there was the World Urban Forum. I just landed in uh, Dubai, and then the UN called me. Frank, you have to be in Abu Dhabi at five. There's someone I want you to meet. Ran, uh, got to the hotel in Dubai, ran up. 
changed into my suit, jumped in a taxi, and took the taxi to uh, Abu Dhabi. And came into the Congress Center there and was met by a UN. And he brought us into a room where there was ministers and leaders from 33 African countries, which they had briefed about Otago. It, it was an amazing moment. It, it really got to you. It was because it was heartfelt. They saw that it was a solution to a problem. The problem that most con- all countries have, which is on the top agenda. But the, the reason why I brought you to Abu Dhabi is to question how do you do this? Is it to build it on site or is it modular? And being on this uh, meeting, uh, World Urban Forum, was also the CEO of uh, Shelter Afrik, Andrew Chimponda. I hope I pronounced that correctly because he really deserves it. Talked to us and was really interested in, in this because he said, we have been using $2 billion to build houses, affordable housing in Africa the last few years. It's not possible to build affordable housing with traditional technology and traditional material. It's not possible. And this is to answer your question. You have to do this in a way that makes impact. It has to be an industrialized process. You have to be able to produce masses of houses. And that is what we do. You manufacture, it's a modular, it's panels, which interlocks. You just produce the houses. One small factory, which is, we call it as a manual labored factory, will produce about 7.8 houses per eight-hour shift per day. It will produce 1,060 square meter buildings per shift, per eight-hour shift per year. And it will be taken on shift or by truck or moved to the building site. We would like to have the factories as close to the building sites as possible. It has to do with sustainability, less um, emission. So we don't call our carpenters carpenters, they're fitters. They go in and they put up houses. It's modular, it's ready to go. The first test we did, we put up the walls before lunch and the roof after lunch. So it should be quick. Incredible. Yeah. And because often these people don't have spaces to move out and stay while your house is being built, you have to like probably do it, finish it during the working day so that not to be able to displace them. How tall can these houses be? We are now, the UN have asked us to get it ready for four stories or or a base plus three. In Norway, we call it four stories, but you would call it three stories, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, It's the the base floor, the ground floor, the ground floor plus three. (laughs) The ground floor plus three. Gravitor plus three is sort of more universal way to. Yeah. And you said that these were homes. Is there a way these modular homes can be customized? Because a house in Africa is different than a house in India or even within Africa, different countries. That's very important. We talked about Julian, which is an architect. But what's really important is this is one of the core elements in our uh, vision it has to be everything we do should be based on the as a local knowledge local history local culture 
you don't in africa and it wouldn't be, it would be wrong to say africa because africa is huge and different cultural nations would like to have different because it has to be familiar and as i said india they wouldn't want to live in the same house as i do here in uh, but because it has no cultural background no historical background so it the um the system allows us to build the things the way you want to have it and i think even the fact that the weather you know, if you have flat roofs where there are torrential rains it's quite pointless yeah you have to and that, that what we're working with together with Sintef is actually it's way different to build houses up here in, in northern part of norway where we have uh, quite dry weather but cold and then you go to sub-saharan africa uh, in the lowlands where you have really and India, where you have really hot and moist weather. And then you get into the highlands in Africa, where you have temperatured and dry. Uh, so it, you have to take all these into consideration in the way you build not only the houses, but the communities. And that's where we talk, as I mentioned, uh, why I mentioned, it has to be based on the cultural background, because the houses today, wherever you travel around the world, it has come about due to the weather, the climate, the temperature. Everything is put together to create a house. Rather create a home. To create a home, exactly. Where do you see yourself in five years? How much of this problem do you think, say you pick only Africa, you'll be able to solve with the waste we have, with the production capacity you have, and you'll have to train people to put together these homes too. Yeah, we have to train people to put. We have put. We made ourselves a real hairy goal, and it's always in the start. It's um, it moves slowly, but with the, what we see happen today, we want to have produced and put up one million houses in, within the next five years, and nobody has ever done that before us. But we can't do it ourselves. That wouldn't be possible. We need partners. We need partners worldwide who would, what should I call it, to... Um, to walk the journey with you, to run with you, to collaborate with you. They would have to collaborate, but they will also have to take use our values, because that's important. This is not mainly, okay, it has to be sustainable also in economically. And the uh, shareholders and investors, of course, I know they want their money back. And if it's not sustainable in an economic way, it wouldn't be sustainable and make a difference in the world today. So what you're saying, you want to partner with stakeholders, collaborators who have your own values, not only of being sustainable, exactly, but profit not being the main motive. No, I've said no to several investors who wanted to get in because they see this as a big, big opportunity to make money. But we are not into profit maximizing. This is, we have four pillars. If I could talk about the four pillars, because it tells something about who we are. We have, we want to do something about the plastic waste problem before it ruins the world. We want to do something about the, now the housing problem, housing deficiency in the world, and the explosion. The, as I mentioned, 160 million today, 360 million by 2050 in this. And that's just in Africa, south of Sahara. And we want to make, create jobs, a lot of jobs, because jobs is security. And 
it also has to do with their feeling of self-worth. Who am I? People should be proud. They should be proud in their lives, have feel safety, uh, economical security. They want to have a job where they're doing good. They're producing houses. They're doing something with the plastic waste problem. They're doing something for the planet. And then we have the fourth pillar of the company. And the fourth pillar, the corporate social responsibility. We want to give back. That's what I mentioned, not the profit maximizing. Because we want to make sure that people are getting, have the security back in life, that they have health care. So we will have health insurance. We want to make sure that people have retirement plan. So we have to have something to do with that. We have to give back so that people go into the old age having the security. And it also has to do with, if you look throughout, especially in Africa, where actually a lot of kids is a way to take care of oneself, to ensure a safe uh, old age. Because if you're able to have a pension plan, you're able to, maybe you will see a lesser growth in uh, population growth. You have to think about education, both for the workers and for the, the workers' children, and especially women's jobs. Create jobs for women. That is really important. So there's a developing, and these values, these four pillars, we, we believe will help create a stable society. These are really important for us. These values our partners will have to take on as their own. It's been fascinating talking to you. It's been inspiring talking to you. We wish you all the best on your journey and hope we can reconnect maybe in a year to see how things are going. Hopefully, if things get as we've been talking about with you, you'll be walking beside me. Yeah, beside me. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. If you're a creator of a mindful brand or would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, please send us a message on our Facebook or Instagram page. Like and review our podcast on any of the podcast apps that you listen to. For more information and insights about this episode, go to Mindful Businesses Podcast on our Instagram or Facebook page. This is Vidya Iyer for Mindful Businesses.